Well, our guest today will definitely go down as one of the best female professional cyclists of all time. She is a returning guest. And let's just say from May of 2021 until November of 2023, a lot has happened. She's become world road race champion. She's won the Vuelta, the Tour, and the Tour de France Femme. Olympic gold medalist in the time trial and silver in the road race. And guess what? She has finally decided to call it quits and retire from this sport. Jens, Annemiek von Vluten, what an interview that was. She is an absolute legend of the sport. I mean, in entire cycling history, men, women combined. There's not many they can come up to the successes she had. And since we last spoke to her, the year 2022 was so special. I believe in the entire year, she won more races than she actually lost, which is probably Eddie Merckx is being able to say that, but nobody else. So yes, she had a fantastic career and it was so good to see how happy and how relaxed she is in retirement now. She was absolutely glowing. So I encourage everyone not only to listen to the podcast, but go on and watch the video version of this. So sit back and relax and enjoy our amazing conversation with Annemiek von Vluten. Welcome back, Annemiek von Vluten to Bobby and Jens. You practiced. Did I get it right this time? Yeah. Close enough, close enough. Well, hey, no, listen, no. since the last time we spoke back in, gosh, May 2021, a lot has happened. I mean, you won the World Championship Road Race, you won the Vuelta, the Giro, the Tour de France Feminine, an Olympic gold medal. Um, back then, you had a press agent with you on our call, which we don't have very often. But something tells me that um, you don't have that press agent. I wonder why that is. Uh, it's not my press agent, but at that time uh, I was with Mostar in a race and then they had the media uh, to help us out if we had some media requests. So normally I also don't have a manager, so I, I always have done my management myself. So uh, also for sure, no media manager. Well, I believe you're a grown up person, so you are absolutely capable of taking care of yourself. So now um, looking back at the events after we talked last. Any highlights of that? What do you think? Is the Olympic gold medal the best or is the Tour de France winning the first ever women's Tour de France the best? What would you say is like, yeah, that was the moment where I figured that's, you know, the, the highlight of my career, so to speak. I got this question so often and it's so hard to choose. Uh, let's guess also a nice luxury because every win has a story. Um, I think the one with the most impact around me was the winning the Tour de France for sure. Um, people from inside and outside cycling were watching that. And usually the World Championships and the Olympics are more watching the hardcore cycling fans. Um, I could feel that, yeah, with the stage race, but it's everyday life on television, you get way bigger audience. And that was really special to feel when I came back. So yeah, that, that gives that, that victory. And also it's the first one. It was also an interesting one with first being sick. So also I can say that I could not have won it without my team. So that makes it also special. Um, but yeah, for example, the, the Tokyo gold, not 
itself from only the gold in the time trial, but Travis Lee, they did with the silver medal in the road race, where I thought I did win the race. And such a messed up situation. And then, wow, in two days, you change your mindset and still, and win two uh, days later, after a big disappointment, you win gold. So yeah, it's, it's full of stories and, and that makes it also more beautiful. Yeah, it's kind of hard to pick up um, a storyline when you you accomplish so much in such a short period of time. But I have a really quick question. You said the last time that we spoke, I was talking about kitchen trucks in the men's Peloton. Um, did you guys, did you ladies finally get a kitchen truck or at least that that uh, personal chef at, at any of the races between 2021 and, and this year? Yeah, it it's, uh, was nice. We had it in the Tour de France, um, and we also had it in Vuelta, I think, and Giro. So, uh, yeah, things are changing in women's cycling, so that is, is super nice. I'm happy that I lead the sport in a way more professional way than I started. I have another question about um, the races, um, your world championships. There was a front group out there and you caught them right at the end, right? Remember, you, of course, you remember that. Um, like three or four kilometers before the finish line, did you think you lost it or you always believed you could come back? And when did you believe, hey, I have it, I have it. You're not going to catch me like right at the line or before? Like the last three, four, five kilometers, what went through your mind? Um, now, I never did think that I lost it because I started already with zero mindset to win that day. I was 100% domestic for Marianne Vos. Um, I was co-leader with Marianne before I crashed. But when I crashed, I could feel like, oh yeah, I'm not at my level I was. I cannot go on a win anymore. So, yeah, what can I do with this broken elbow? I thought first, like, I want to go home. I want to go in the plane. I want to cry. I want to be with my friends and get out of here of Wollongo. But what kept me in the race was that I felt like, okay, I can't feel sorry for myself, but if I have such an opportunity that I can show really my team spirit and to write for Marianne to say like I'm 100% domestic, I will, yeah, I was convinced that I would go more happy back home when I could help Marianne, uh, yeah, some help to win her that title. Um, so only in the last one and a half kilometer, I, you see me in the video, I'm always time in the latest position in that group. Marianne Vos was still behind me and I'm still waiting for her and ready to do a lead out for her to, for the sprint. Um, but yeah, with one and a half kilometer to go, I still look over my shoulder and see like, yeah, she's not going to come back. And that's the only moment uh, when I start to think about my own options. Because um, I, I, then I came across to my mind like, okay, if we... If this group come back together, come back together, I'm not a sprinter and especially not with a broken elbow, I cannot pull on my handlebars. So I have one option and one opportunity in that if immediately if this come this group together, it will be chaos and then I need to immediately attack. And that's what I did. I didn't look back and commit, bam, go for it. And um, I was actually also not immediately back in that group because I first I was actually a little bit dropped in the group. Uh, so there was a really small rise there. And um, so I was not immediately back together. But as soon as I was there, I went several meters to go, eight meters to go. Yeah. And yeah, and then you think like, oh yeah, for sure they wait until they launch the sprint. They will wait until they launch the sprint. So eight on meters, 700, 600, yeah, they, they will wait. I didn't look back. And then the 200 meters to go, like you, 
I need now to hear them coming. And then I thought like, I don't hear them coming, but maybe I'm wrong. Then Hollis 50 meters ago, like for sure now they will come because they always wait. This is, they will loud sprint now. Uh, oh yeah, and with 200 meters ago, I also went out of my saddle because I didn't want to, I, I could not really stand up, but I felt like I don't want to have the regrets that I didn't try it. So I went out of my saddle and, uh, and, and then I crossed the finish like, like they did a game. Um, but still, I was not sure that I did win because it's also confusing. We don't ride with communication. I felt like, oh, yeah, this is such a joke that this, this cannot be true. Like, I'm your domestique. I did, I did win. Like, for sure, there was already a group in front of this group that I haven't seen or that someone slipped out already. Or So I, I really looked to the, to the, like, did I win? <laughs> you see my face, like... Yeah, and I, I, it's still super nice to go back to that feeling and all the emotions that are running through my head. Well, you mentioned that, you know, women's cycling is kind of hit warp speed since the last time that we spoke and the Tour de France Femme happened. Um, tell us a little bit about your memories from the Tour de France Femme when, when you won it in, in 2022. Yeah, when I started it, they made it really big and I was a bit like Dutch style first See, then we believe it, that it's such a big deal because with the one day event, La Course, I was not, I mean, we really were a sideshow. So I was a bit like, yeah, you can do it. It will be a big thing, but now nah, we'll see. Um, but yeah, from day one, I realized, okay, this is big. And then Marianne Vos started to wear the yellow jersey and I was like, ah, oh, this is, this is something epic. Eh? Their first women, yeah, it felt really like we were really in the Tour de France also because the speaker was the same, the podium was the same. They surprised me with this, that they did it really, really well, the first uh, Tour de France. It was not a startup. They, yeah, I, yeah, I have to say I was positively surprised and also about the people all that came out to watch. Um, yeah, this felt like the Tour de France continued one more week extra. And um, yeah, when I, yeah, I got sick at eh, the first days, so I had a stomach uh, problem and I was, oh, yeah. I, I haven't been so often in my life so sick. Um, so I was quite lucky that I uh, could recover in that race and that the first days my teammates uh, could help me out. I always made the joke, like my nose did not feel any wind uh, those first days. They really protected me well. Um, yeah, and then in Lamarckstein, I um, I commit again way too early attack, which hit 40 kilometers to, uh, 40, from corner to the kilometers on, I think I attacked on the first on the Petit Ballon. And... Uh, Took me two clients to drop David Volley. Uh, was she was also really strong already, and it was a really hard battle. And um, yeah, there I uh, I made it. But then also to win the next day in the yellow jersey, that was also uh, something really special on uh, La Planche de Fit. So it's um, yeah. Also that was eventful with having a flat tire with people that attack in the front. And yeah, it uh, was not a boring to the fans, but also that uh, makes it beautiful with a lot of stories. That's great to hear that you enjoyed the first ever women's Tour de France. Let's um, maybe to clarify also for our listeners, maybe a little more painful experience with the Olympics in the road race. The Dutch team was by far the biggest favorite as a team with so many like really strong riders. You won the sprint of the group, but second on the day. Can you fill us in a little bit how that happened and how did you feel about it and if it was just unlucky or somebody's mistake or how did that uh, happen? 
Um, so I have to say that I, I really kind of the athlete that don't, don't like to look back on uh, moments like that. What happened and how did I could happen? Because I'm really accept, adapt and move on is really my motto. And yeah, you asked me this. So that's, that's also why I realized oh, yeah, I, I was not so keen to analyze what all went wrong. I, I, I leach it over to the national coach and they need to do better next time uh, with the team. And um, I will be not part of any more of that. Um, but yeah, a lot of miscommunication and it was really fake. No one had a clue who was actually in front. Um, also the time differences uh, we did here was really confusing. Um, they were not doing a really good job with the, on the whiteboard. They're giving us, sometimes they gave us the, the difference to the back or sometimes they gave us the difference to the front group. Um, I hadn't also not really clear in my head who were exactly in the front group. We knew a bit like there were a bit from countries that are not so big countries, so all with the one rider countries. Um, so yes, I did anecdote. And the first time I saw Anna Kiesehoven over that I heard from Anna Kiesehoven was on the podium when I shake her hand to congrat her. I never heard of her. Um, but yeah, so... Um, we got also some wrong information that they said to us that the Polish girl was uh, uh, was alone in the front. Alaplichta, I think it was. Uh, so when we catch her back, we thought that everything was back. So we also got wrong information with that. Um, so I think there was confusion. They both write in the red and something like that. There was misconfusion. So yeah, that's why why I made that mistake of like, yeah, I thought that, oh yeah, if the Polish girl is back, we have everything back. Um, and I, yeah, I know I, I, I have been thinking, I think 10 seconds that I was world champion of Olympic champion on the road it was really short because I, I, yeah, you have the celebration picture of me from there. And, uh, then I want to give our, uh, Swanee that's all waiting on the finish line, uh, a really big hug. And he said to me, Ooh, you're really happy that you're second place. And then, whoa. Okay, and then I felt so stupid, like, but then also my teammates came, Anna van der Berg, also didn't know who was in front, so then I felt at least a little bit less stupid that it was not only me that thought that, uh, that we had everything back, but it is the most crazy race ever, and it must have been like, yeah, super silly and super ridiculous on television also, but yeah, it's it's what you get uh, a bit of amateur, um, but you don't race with communication, you need to communicate, so whiteboards here, dependent of the motor that gives you or wrong or correct information. So I don't know if it makes it, um, yeah, better in my opinion, not, and especially not because we do all the big races with communication and suddenly in the, in the biggest race in, in once every four years, you have no communication and then you get those confusions. But you redeemed yourself a few days later by winning the time trial. What was that? I think that was, that was nice. What it makes it more nice, actually. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it must have felt like a bad dream followed by an amazing dream. But like, it takes yeah. a lot to kind of process something like that, and then to refocus, and then to have an Olympic gold winning ride two days later. What was that two days in, at, between the road race and the time trial like? Were you, were you? Um, by yourself, were you with teammates? What 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 just clicked right then, where, which allowed you to win that Olympic time trial two days later after getting second in the road race? Yeah, I think in my career I had already some 
exercises that um, with accept, adapt and move on. So I felt like you just need to accept that what happened. I didn't want to get stuck in like what happened really or to go into it. Um, but I, the thing I, I want to take out of it and maybe else did it in the Rio Olympics. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I was really strong uphill and I took that positive and now I felt like, hey, I'm in really good shape because in the end I did a really good race there. Um, I went solo and uh, in the end still from a long solo break, I also was able to, to break away from that uh, final group. So I felt like, okay, I, I did everything I could. Uh, okay, it didn't work out. I didn't check, I wanted to check social media and not to read anything about the road race. I was just immediately focused on the time trial. Like, okay, I'm good. I'm optimal prepared. I went uh, 12 times in the sauna riding. I went to altitude. I pushed good numbers. So you need to go for it. I have another chance for gold. And that was only on my mindset. I, I did not think any second anymore about the road race. I also didn't want to force myself not to think of it. Yeah. The only thing I did, by the way, is that I sent a, a video message from the toilet, from the Fuji Speedway. To my friends to tell them after all the chaotic that I was actually happy with my silver medal that are happy uh, that out of a situation where we lost everything that I still gained uh, the silver medal and it was my first Olympic medal I didn't have one before so I just want to give them like share a bit my feeling what I had about the silver medal and um, yeah in all the uh, that they knew that I was not in a really shitty mood or yeah, that I was still like positive to go for it uh, in two days. And uh, just now, did you mention you went 12 times in the sauna to ride your bike? Okay, yeah. go a little more specific on that. I'm all curious now how that works. So you put your home trainer into the sauna and you put it <laughs> yeah. on what? On 50, 60, 70 degrees or 45. And how long did you ride your bike inside? And how much did you sweat by doing that? Yeah, this is the most crazy thing I ever did. Because also, if you know that I never ride the rollers in my home, it's, if it's raining, I take a rest day. I hate the rollers. So, yeah, you're really dedicated. If you hate the rollers, that you take your rollers after training ride. So at first I did a four or five hour endurance ride outside. And then immediately I went into the sauna. I had already a setup of my TT bike in the sauna. And it was not uh, running yet. The, the hotel where I was did not open it. So I could adjust the temperature. So I had the same temperature as in Tokyo. And I put a lot of water on the stove to, um, yeah, to have the same climate, also a bit high humidity. So after a four or five hour ride over the Stelvio Mortirolo, you come back and they say like, yes, <laughs> let's go into the sauna riding. <laughs> it was really good that I had a friend uh, with me and he, he always forced me to go straight uh, continue and not sit down after the the ride. He's like, oh, come on, I help you. Uh, we set up the bike and you you continue you continue there. So I didn't do efforts. I just like did uh, 45 minutes just riding. And I sometimes I went on the skill and I lost like three kilos of fluids in 45 minutes. I did 12 45 minutes. Um, yeah, to to prepare myself on the Tokyo climate. And I choose to do this because me and my coach thought like this was, this would be the most most effective way to uh, adapt on the climate. And for sure, you can also do sauna. You can also do uh, a hot heat a bath after the ride. Or, but I didn't want to get lost in all kind of uh, options I had. I want to go for one, and then I could also say to everyone that was around me, like, perfect that you do all other stuff. This is my plan. I commit to this plan. We think this is the most optimal to prepare. 
And then, um, because for example, I also heard that the Norwegian guys, they went riding in a plastic suit or something to adapt to the heat. And then they offered me also to do that. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, like, it was really nice that I had my own plan and I didn't get distracted by what other, other people were doing. Because I was on a mission and uh, I had my plan. I, I love what you said there. Um, and it, it's a, a point which I want the, the young men and women to actually um, think about even harder is that you picked one thing and you focused on that. You weren't jumping from rock to rock to rock like so many of us do because there's so many options out there. These little tricks, these little like little, you know, uh, abbreviations of this or that or the other thing, but sticking to that one thing. And what you said that I also want to emphasize, I was going to ask you about this later. I was going to ask you, like, what would be your favorite mantra or maybe phrase? And you said, accept, adapt, and move on. That, that is genius. I mean, it's so simple, but it's genius. And mine would be trim off the peaks and fill in the valleys because you know when you're when you're riding high everything's good when you're riding low you kind of got to equalize that those ups and downs so i have that phrase you have yours jens tell us what your phrase of of um your career would be uh in an inspirational sense for the for the young riders out there i guess i would go <clears throat> Life don't say becomes, shut up legs. Uh, no, that was my first <laughs> option, but then I stopped myself from seeing it. Um, no, here's my idea. Life becomes very quickly complicated by itself. So at least start out with an easy plan, with a simple plan, which goes a little bit like what Animeek said, you know, don't overanalyze things, stick with one thing, because life gets complicated. There's a lot more things coming in, in, into the play very, very quick. So start with a simple plan and not overcomplicate things. Wow. Yeah, because I also think that if you get lost, you get sometimes lost in too many options and then you forget to focus. Well, you're, you're focused on 100,000 things, but it's better to put your focus in, in one plan. It's also why I'm a bit, um, I always try to advise younger athletes, like don't ask opinions on too many people. Just listen to your coach, but find a good one that you trust and make a plan with him. One nutritionist, make your the people around you really small, your team really small, and don't ask for opinions to your father or to other people that also think they have a really good knowledge about the thing. Um, yeah, that's that helps you really to focus better. And um, Anemiek, um, the year 2022, you did win the Vuelta, correct? The Giro, the Tour, the World Championships, and the Olympic medal. Do you think ever, ever in history, somebody is going to do the same? You cannot do better than that, but do the same? I believe that will be a unique mission of yours, probably for at least 100 years. We'll see. Um, yeah, it, it was a crazy year, 2022. And when I felt it would, when I was thinking it would end in shit with a broken elbow, it suddenly became the... Yeah, as a big surprise, also a really good end. So, um, wow, it's uh, a, a year. And also, when you think, my, my boyfriend actually told me last week, that was also the year that I had three fractures. So, it was not all going super well. I 
I did Paris-Roubaix end of 2021 where I did fracture my hip uh, quite bad because until the end of December I was still on crutches and I could only go on my bike to lie the to lay the bike flat on the ground and then put my leg over it so I could ride the bike I was also a saddle that was like for 30 euros it was like a couch because otherwise I could not ride people looked at my bike it looked so ugly but yeah that was the only way how I could ride the bike um, I had a broken um, uh, a broken um, uh, wrist yeah in uh, one day after Liège when I went for a fun mountain bike ride with Iris Slapperdel to celebrate my Liège win and in uh, some loose end, he got stuck and uh, yeah, I was very unlucky. And uh, yeah, then I also had a broken elbow. So yeah, it's it's my best season ever, but also the season with the most effective. It's crazy. This is such a surreal moment for, for me, speaking to one of the best female racers of all time. I mean, here we are, mid-November. Normally the time that you get started with your training for the next season, but it's a little different now to our viewers and listeners that don't know, Anamik has um, retired from the sport of cycling. When did you actually make this decision? When did you say that this is, this is the final year of my career? Oh, um, I think end of 2021, I start a bit to think about it. When could be a good moment to end my career. Um, yeah, because I, I could feel that the, the options to improve myself was were getting less and less and the details where I could focus on were getting smaller and smaller. And that was uh, my driving force, or that is my driving force. If I, if I can improve myself, it gives me energy. If I can make a plan to go faster, better, uh, that's the thing that, that was my driving force, not the wins. The wins are the bonus. Um, because I think I can still win next year. I think I can win less, but I could still win next year. But I could not think of any things I could do more or better. Or I'd say I had a bit like a, a played. I don't know if you can say it in English. I played out the cycling. I say like I, I find out, uh, yeah, I could not find new challenges in cycling anymore. So it was time to finish and it's a good time to finish. And um, going into the last year, did you also sometimes had moments in training where you go, ah, maybe I just turn home 15 minutes earlier than normal? I had it a little bit going to my last season and I started terribly into my last year. Oh, I trained harder after that became good, but or you kept 100% professional until the very last moment on the bike. I'm super happy. I, I did that uh, until the Tour de France. I did not think about that it would be my last season. But after the Tour de France that was finished, like I, I felt I could not watch my weight so well anymore. I was really done with it. I did not train optimal. I was more celebrating or like just more thinking about the finish. Yeah, I was not so serious anymore. And still at a good level, but uh, the real fire in my belly I had until the Tour de France. Well, you know, for, for all athletes, structure and sacrifice is a huge part of our lives, right? Um, when, when I stopped, it, it kind of was pretty easy. Um, but those habits that you had, were they hard to break? Are you still kind of waking up in the morning and your first impulse is to look after your weight or to, to go training or has it been 
nice and easy transition so far? Yeah, so far it's been nice and easy transition. I ride, I think, two times a week my bike. I still love it, uh, especially do it with friends. So I don't go out by myself or not yet. Um, if it's raining, I'm happy that I'm not pro athlete anymore. I stay inside. Um, yeah, of course, I feel my body changing, that I gain weight. And that's a little bit, yeah, it's, it needs some time to accept it, I think. Um, but I think, yeah, also that is so far, it's, it's fine. Um, I'm curious how it will feel next year when I will ride up the Stelvio and you feel that you go really slower or... But still, I think it's not bothering me. I will not try to challenge or go for a fast time. I still like also to ride my bike in a slow speed. So the, it was not that the, the high speed gives me energy. It's also just being riding, riding in the mountains, in the sun, in good weather. Yeah, I really love that and I will continue to do that. And also my mountain bike. I, I went actually back to Livigno after I quit and I was really curious how it would feel. Um, and it felt awesome. Like, like I did one day downhilling. I really enjoy the, the things I can do now that I could not do during my career. We'll be right back after this short break. Now, back to our chat with Annemiek. You told us that um, the races after the tour, it was more celebrating, but you're not so 100% focused on the win anymore. Did you have time to enjoy some interaction with the crowds, with the spectators? Did you feel like the second half of the season after the women's tour would be like a big like a goodbye parade for you, like a celebration of your lifetime achievements? Did you felt the love of the fans for you? Yeah, especially in my last race, the Simak Lane Tour was in the Netherlands, was six days and also really uh, close to my home grounds. Um, that was amazing and really special. I really struggled to think about what will be my last race. At some point I felt like after two de France, I was completely finished it because I felt like let's, let's finish, myself, finish myself here. But I'm really happy that I continued until that uh, race in the beginning of September. I also gave the opportunity to say goodbye to me. And um, it was really special to hear so often. Thank you, Annemiek. You have entertained us so much. I don't realize that, that I had such a, a big impact. And people, even from England, people flew to my last race to say goodbye to me. And it was a really special um, moment to celebrate it with people I don't know and also with people that are really close to me, with my mother, with my family, friends. We also had a nice party after. Um, my friends organized it as a surprise after my last race. So, yeah, I, I really look back uh, with a smile on my, on my last race. You, you absolutely should. Not only did you entertain us, but you inspired so many young women to become professional cyclists, I'm sure. Were you ever aware of the impact that you had to young up-and-coming female cyclists or was it just part of the business? Yeah, I always tried to look around a bit and especially I was a bit more focused on younger te teammates to help them and um, if there, if I had an opportunity to inspire the next year generation I was really keen to, to do something um, but yeah the impact you have on other people that it was so big um, I, yeah I still uh, cannot believe that sometimes when I sometimes get an email, I'm still surprised. So that 
that people send email like, uh, oh, my children went to cycling because of you and you inspired them or also all the people that inspire them to push through or yeah, it's, it's super nice to read that you can inspire people when you're just doing the thing you really love to do and that's getting the best out of yourself. And also that you got the opportunity in the end to entertain people because until 2016, we were actually almost never on television. So I really made this, uh, was part of this transition from being never on television and yeah, we, we wanted to entertain people, but we didn't have the opportunity because people could not watch us on television. And now like almost all the race are on television. So it's uh, super cool to lead the sport like this. And print some of these emails and look at them every now and then to give yourself back some motivation. Because um, when I retired, there's a lot of things I don't miss. But one of the things I struggle or I, I, I really miss is people yelling my name on a roadside. You know, when I'm out in a break, you go, go, Jens, go. It feels good. And I, I do miss it. I, I'm not lie. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I miss it. Um, do you already have some experience um, or some ideas of what, of what part of cycling you're not going to miss and what parts you will miss in the future or in the next weeks or in the next days? Good one. And I'm also curious what you have. Like, so nice that you share it because I really love to talk with athletes that stopped and how they went into the transition. Um, for me now, I really enjoy that. I don't need to go on my bike in the Netherlands when it's dark, when it's rainy and it's so like cold that I can think like, I just can stay inside. I really don't miss that part of riding in the rain or checking all the time the radar when, when is a dry hour when I can go. Um, it's something I will miss. I think that I don't have the opportunity anymore to refresh, uh, to make new memories, to make new, um, uh, that I don't have the opportunity anymore, opportunity anymore to entertain people in the way I did with my racing style. And that I get, um, yeah, to hear from people that they really enjoyed it or they were really excited, uh, when I did win in the Wollongong and how they, um, yeah, how, how I entertained them. So I think that is. So nice to hear that you, yeah, that you can, I don't know how to say it in English, but that you get some excitement with people at home just watching you racing. And yeah, that is special. And that I cannot refresh or renew those, um, cannot make new memories anymore. Talking about memories, uh, two-part question. Did you keep a journal during your career and did you hang on to cycling memorabilia from your, your, your wins, your, your, your favorite moments. No, not really. I always in my, uh, training program, training peaks, I always did my, with my diary there. Um, the good and the shitty moments are there. So my, my, uh, coach also could read there about my private life, how I was going. Um, but yeah, no, not, not much memories. And sometimes I realized that. As a cyclist, you always continue, eh? like you win something um, and the next you already focus on the next goal. And that is sometimes quite sad that you don't need, don't take the time to enjoy a bit the moment, but you always focus on the next goal and not the next goal. Only in the end of the world championships, usually that was in the end of the season, you have a bit more time to, uh, to enjoy that title and celebrate it with your friends. But all the other time, it's always next goal, next goal. And yeah. It's, I realize it now. I could not agree more to what you just said, because I felt the same. The team wins something and then 
everybody is, no, nah, no, nah, forget about the podium. Go to the airport. We need to catch the plane home. And like, yeah, but we yeah. just won the race and it was just awesome. And can we not just sit together and have a beer yeah. or a glass of wine and eat dinner and then fly home tomorrow? But but no, it like just like you said, it's okay. You want tick the box and off to the airport and focus on next weekend. Yep, I missed that as well. But uh, to our listeners, they do not watch the video. Behind your back, Anemiek, that I'm sure that is a picture or a painting of you at the Olympics, right? In the Dutch in the Dutch national team skin suit on a TT bike, correct? That's got to be the Olympics, right? No, it's a, it's a different memory. And um, oh. it's 2017. I'm here on my way to the, my first real title time trial in Bergen. And it's a present I got from the mechanic of uh, Mitchell and Scott, that Ryan, where um, we were a bit like winning team together. He really helped me to get more aerodynamic. I did all the wind tunnel testing with him um, and he gave it to me as a present. And why it's so special victory for me is that uh, after the Rio Olympics, um, yeah, I was uh, close to win something big, but because of my own mistake, I did not win the gold medal. So that was, okay, hard to digest that it was my own mistake. And then in the Giro 2017 was the first time that I did target to Giro. I was sleeping in the echelon stage. Because if I would have been like not talking in the back that day, I would have won the Giro for the first time in my career. And I was really focused for the Giro. So I felt so stupid and so ashamed towards my team for that one. And then uh, the World Championships in Bergen came with the time trial. I knew that I was the best one on the time trial that day. So I knew that if I would not make the mistake, I was one of the most one of the favorites to win it and i could only think of all the corners in the parkour where i would crash <laughs> i was in the yeah i was in a black hole i was i was i started to to be convinced that if i was close to win something big i was my own worst enemy and that um that was my hardest three days before the time trial i was so depressed and only thinking in which corner I was going to crash. Uh, because also, no, like, uh, yeah, you need to take risks. And if you, there were some corners where you, where you could stay uh, in, in there in the skis, but it's also like a moment where you lose control because you cannot use the brakes in that position. Um, and I didn't want to lose seconds in the corner. So you want to take the risk in the corners. It was, and so after this time, that was my first uh, world title. Wow, I could finish it off. And I saw my mother at the finish line. I gave her so big hug and it had not to do with the Rio crash, but in the other hand, it had something to do with the Rio crash because I started to believe that I could never finish it off. And after this uh, world title in Bergen 2017, you can also look back at my result. I started to win and uh, yeah, I did not stop anymore. So. It was a really important one, and that's why it is in my living room. That that's that's awesome, uh, and you know those things are going to become more and more precious uh, the later you get on into into retirement. Take it from me, somebody will send me an old picture of when I was racing, and it just rekindles all these memories. But you know, you've given memories to a lot of people, and recently we heard that you actually at the end of the year signed a bunch of jerseys and gave them to your entire team, including the staff. That's a Phenomenal gesture that not that many people I've ever heard of doing. What was your reasoning behind that? Well, um, I, I heard from some staff that they were really keen to get a jersey. 
so um, are some must for me, and that um, yeah, I felt like it's the best way to say goodbye to the team if I can thank them with a nice jersey and to write something on it for my teammates, but also for especially for the staff. I think there are people that really um, yeah. They don't are not always in the spotlight, but they work super hard and also help you. And I had a great team uh, spirit in Mobistar, so I thought it was super nice gesture to uh, to thank them. And I, yeah, it was hard to to make the list because in three years you work with a lot of people, so there were a lot of jerseys uh, I was uh, signing and to write some stuff on it. Um, but yeah, it's um, yeah you can give money to people, but I like more to have this gesture, and um, yeah, it was uh, super nice. Also the feedback I got after, so that that uh, put a little smile on my back. I get still I get pictures where the where the jerseys are in every house or training uh, garage or yeah office. It's nice to see. So when you signed all these jerseys to give away, you also realized, okay, this is I'm approaching the end of my career. It's for sure there's no turning back anymore. Um, are you having any future plans you want to share with us or you just relax and see what next year is going to bring or you have any new project or ideas or, or jobs maybe you want to uh, talk about? Yeah, good question. When I, when I, after the Tour de France, I was thinking like, oh, I will struggle so much because I don't have a goal ready, a next goal ready. And I was thinking that I would only be happy with a, when I can go for a new goal in my life. And more and more, uh, I realized like that I'm also quite happy without uh, ch chasing that I'm chasing a goal, and that feels actually really relaxed. And I feel a bit like that I'm back in my student time where I had a lot of freedom, and at the moment I'm really enjoying that that I don't have to pressure to chase a new goal, and that I have a little bit more options in my agenda to say yes to nice invitations that uh, that people send me sometimes. Um, of course, also I need to say a lot of time no to people because I got a lot of uh, invitations um, also for future jobs. Um, so I try to, for next year, just explore a bit and do some short-term things, but not to sign a contract uh, somewhere. And I think it's also healthy to stay, uh, to take some distance one year from cycling. So Bobstar offers me a contract. Uh, I could stay with the team, but I felt like it's better to, to take one year a bit of distance and uh, yeah, to have a good think about what gives me energy and yeah, what kind of role I want to develop myself. Um, but I have some ideas. Uh, I, I really like to work a bit more on the mental side or in mental coaching with younger athletes, um, especially because with younger athletes, you can add a lot, like uh, people that are already in the end of the career. It's hard to, yeah, to add a lot. I really like to work with young people. You can really help them and give them advices to prevent them from making mistakes I did make uh, in my start of my career. And also the combination with if they still go to school and they uh, want to combine it with getting a pro athlete. I think, um, yeah, maybe uh, I want to do that something. So <clears throat> you already mentioned that, that memories are a big thing, but life is also about adventures and experiences and you as a dedicated athlete for so long, you probably had to say no to a lot of fun adventures or trips. Is there anything that you have planned or looking forward to totally away from the bike during this period that you're taking to kind of find yourself or figure out what you want to do in the, in the upcoming future? 
Yeah, I go for ski for a ski trip, our first ski trip ever. And my boyfriend will uh, laugh really hard, I think, because I never did ski. I um, I never went on the snow even. So um, yeah, I'm super keen to go. We go end of December. Uh, and with my mother, I go uh, for a holiday trip with uh, the two of us. She's 75 now. And uh, I gave her for 75th uh, birthday a holiday outside Europe. And we go to Uganda uh, with the two of us. I'm really looking forward because it's also something I never could do in the middle of my season to go for a two-week trip with your mother. And I think it's really nice to spend time with her. And also, I guess you, by now you realize how relaxing it is that you go, okay, I'm going to go skiing and I don't have to be super careful because I have to be in a training camp five days after that or I can do this or that. It is relaxing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I really, uh, my, um, I got some coaching from also the transition to go to force, uh, at least that stopped. And, and my coach also said like, what kind of time do you want to repeat? If you have like one month, you can do a part of your life again. I was like, oh, my student time, because there I had so much freedom and everything was possible and you're not restricted in a schedule. I could deal with the schedule in my cycling life, but I think in my nature, I like more to be more free and, uh, to have yeah, opportunities to do yeah with whatever uh life gives you and uh, i'm i was good with planning but uh in my holiday time i also really don't like to plan my holiday so much in front so yeah i feel that freedom again for my student time now you, you can see it on your face that it's like a new chapter and you're excited you're not intimidated um i think that is proof that you left it all out on the road And, you know, Jens, you won a lot more than I did. Anamik, obviously you won more than Jens and I put together. And that's another little bit of advice for, I think, for, for people when they're transitioning in, into a new phase is don't feel intimidated by it, but look at the excitement and the opportunities uh, available. Um, but we're, we're getting towards the end of our time now, but I have a few more questions about women's cycling. You said that before 2016, there wasn't much going on, you know, not much uh, TV exposure, but you've lived through the whole evolution of what women's cycling is now. Are there any ideas that you have or that you would like to have seen or want to see in the future that will make the sport of women's cycling even better than it is now that you're leaving it? Yeah, for sure. I would like to see that more teams are on the equal level and fight each other. Because last season, um, yeah, you see there's a little bit too much uh, quality in one team. And it would be way better if it's the, the quality gets a bit spread out. It was also my reason why I went to Movistar and not to another team. Because I thought it's nicer if more teams start to fight each other and we can spread out the quality a bit. And because um, it's, it's, I think it's a danger actually for being in cycling because it makes it less attractive if one team is winning too much. And um, also for the team, it's not so nice, I think, because also people, all the other teams are going to ride against them. Um, so I think uh, it's important that more uh, teams, uh, yeah, that the quality gets a bit more spread out. And another thing I really would like to hope is that we get more, um, a higher level in a, more white, more girls fighting each other and also from different countries. So what for me painful to see is that, for example, in Spain, they're not coming, not a lot of high level, uh, real to level uh, Spanish girls. Um, so yeah, what's going wrong there? So that's also something I really like 
maybe it's also an opportunity um, yeah, to develop a bit more the cycling in countries that are not at the moment not so well developed with women cycling. And also really hope, for example, in Colombia that now with the high min- the minimum uh, uh, world tour uh, salaries, that it gets also for um, women outside Europe more interesting to, to come overseas because it's quite a big step for them and to come to race here. So it would be super cool if we have uh, in the future um, way more nationalities to make it hard for the Dutch cyclists. So um, from your perspective, um, at the World Tour level, every single female athlete is able to live off the money they earn or you think still 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 percent of the female cyclists still have a second job working at a bike shop or having their parents supporting them? Or is the financial situation now good enough that every woman with a contract can live off that contract? Yeah, the discount for the women in a world tour, I can say then you can uh, you don't need a job or you don't need to live with your parents anymore. So then it's it's not as high as the in the men, uh, the minimum salary, but I think you can live full time. Uh, you can be a full time athlete. But uh, we also do races and also in the Tour de France, not all the teams are world tour yet. So the teams that are in just a UCI continental level team, they don't have that minimum salary. And those girls, uh, we also hopefully in the future, they get uh, the minimum or a bit more money that they can also be full time athlete. That they also help to rise the level in uh, in general in women's cycling. I think it's super important. Wow. Um, it, it has just been such an honor having you on the podcast, you know, back in 2021. And then now, you know, kind of bookending your career. This is super exciting. Um, thank you so much. I know that you, you have to say no to a lot of uh, obligations, and we really appreciate you coming on to, to Bobby and Jens today and wish you all the best in your year away from the sport and hopefully we'll see you back in one way or another uh in the sport because you you have some great ideas and you touched on you know helping younger riders in the coaching aspect and let me tell you from personal experience that is a phenomenal uh way of of giving back to the sport you've given so much that no one expects you to do that but just thank you for everything that you've done and for sure for coming on to bobby and Jens again today It's a pleasure. I also, it's a big honor for me also, guys. So I was always watching you on television. So it's really nice to do a podcast now from this side for me. Sometimes it's still incredible for me that I'm now talking to the guys I was before following on television when I was just a small girl. So um, yeah, thank you. It was nice to talk. Well, that's all the time we have for this week, folks. Huge thanks to Anamik for being our guest. Thanks for listening. And please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a Velo production in association with Shock Giraffe. This episode was produced and edited by Mark Payne. Check out the video version of this podcast by heading to the Outside Watch YouTube channel. And remember, if you're an Outside Plus subscriber, you can watch the Faman Mochin film in collaboration with Shimano. The film focuses on the best female cycling photographers in the world as they capture the sport we all love. The film is exclusive to Outside Watch, so head to the link in our description to find out how you can subscribe and watch. Get in touch with us on Twitter, Instagram, Threads, and Facebook. Just head to at Bobby and Jens and give us a follow. This week, we want to know what's your favorite 
Annemiek van Floyden Memory.